Father, we thank you for um, being among us and making a way for us to come to you. Lord, we, we couldn't. We were far away. We were hopeless. We were rebellious. Uh, but you didn't uh, wait for us to make the first move. You came. You gave your son. And Lord, even as we remember this morning that uh, he became sin for us, that we might become your righteousness. But Lord, you just didn't call us to relationship with you. You called us to restoration of all things. And so you call us into the world, into the lives of young girls in high school, into the lives of street boys and street girls, into the lives of babies and children who don't have parents. And you say that reconciliation that I have worked with you, I want you to bring reconciliation in every place. Lord, who is adequate for these things? But you give us the adequacy. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you bless the reading of your word? You promise much concerning your word. And so would it fulfill that which you have sent it to do? Amen. Amen. And um, let me just uh, welcome you once again if you're joining us for the first time. Like you heard, my name is Cephas. Uh, I'm one of the team of elders. Um, one tribe is led by a team of uh, elders or pastors, if you like. And uh, we've got Sean, Simba, Bonisi, who is uh, currently in Greece, and myself. And uh, you've joined us at a good time. We are wrapping up a, a four-part series uh, entitled Generous. And uh, in the first week, Mbonisi came and shared with us and, and showed us how all things belong to God. Uh, just like Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and all is fullness, the world and everyone who lives in it. Then Sean shared so wonderfully on how God provides. And if you're here, you remember we had three uh, ladies coming up and, and sharing testimonies and Maiski as well came and shared and, and it was wonderful and powerful just to hear the reality of God providing, not just uh, uh, that it's something abstract out there, but through people uh, impacting the lives of others. And then last week, uh, Mbonisi was saying, okay, how, how then do we give? And he, he told us to excel in the grace of giving. He, he gave five great reasons for giving, and that's responding to God's generosity imitating God, we're called to become like Him, storing up treasures in heaven, and dealing death blows to the love of money, and because we're excited by the local church, excited by what God, what God is doing through this body of believers. Now, it would be easy for us to wrap up this series and, and, and say, hey, the summary of the series is that we were talking about money and that uh, we can and should be generous. And when we get together and are generous, many wonderful things will happen. And, and that is true, but it's not the whole truth. The reality is that the main focus of the church is not money. It's not fundraising. And I know that might be shocking to some of you uh, from your previous church experience. And actually, the main focus of the church is not doing great things out in the world and, and having an impact and being successful in the mission. The main focus of the church is a person, Jesus. And uh, I was just remembering how one French philosopher famously said, I think, therefore, I am. And it spurred the enlightenment and rationalism and has shaped generations. 
But the church says, he is, therefore we are. And so as we wrap up this series, I want us to focus on this person. My hope is that we'll be able to sit at his feet. I want us to focus on, on who he is, what he has done, and what he has called us to. That we might know him, love him, experience his power, learn from him, follow him, imitate him, and serve him which is what it is to be a disciple. And so this morning, I want us to listen to Jesus and what he says to us about our money and our possessions. So if you have your Bible, please could you turn to Luke, Luke 16. We'll be reading from verse 1 to 14. The version, I think, which will be on the screen is ESV, but I'm, I'm going to be reading from NASB, but just keep the verses going because it's going to be quite a long passage. And just know where, just so you know where I'm heading with this message is that we'll read uh, the passage slowly. I'll, I'll give a bit of context on uh, what Jesus is talking about. And then I, I just want to make three exhortations or, or draw three exhortations that I think Jesus is making in the passage. And firstly, that he's exhorting us to use wealth to love people. Secondly, to pursue true riches. And thirdly, to choose who and what we serve. And so we'll jump into verse one. And this is what he says. He says, now... He was also saying to the disciples, and you've just come from Luke chapter 15, which has got uh, stories where he was speaking to the Pharisees concerning why he was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, people they thought should be shunned. And so Jesus gave these three wonderful stories. And now in Luke 16, it says that he, he turned to his disciples, and now he was saying to the disciples. And we see that, Jesus is, is, is talking to a group of people who have committed themselves to following him. And it's very important before I continue in this message, it's very important even as we wrap up the series that we, we just haven't been talking about generosity or about money, but we've been talking to a group of people, talking to, to people who have committed their lives to Jesus. If you follow in the book of Luke up to chapter 16, you see that this calling of discipleship is a high and radical calling. In Luke 14, from verse 26 to 33, Jesus said things like, unless you hate your family, you, you can't be my disciple. You might be thinking, yeah, well, that's easy for me. I, I've got a toxic family. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's talking to a culture where family is everything. And Jesus says, unless you're prepared to die for me, that's what it means to deny yourself and pick up your cross. What would happen is that when a criminal was, was uh, uh, going to die, he, he would have the, the T piece of the cross and he would be paraded as he headed to execution. And Jesus is calling to mind that very image to say, unless you are willing to carry around your death, you can't be my disciple. And then the clincher concerning possessions, it says, unless you give up all your possessions to follow me. 
you're not worthy to be my disciple. And I want to ask you this morning, how many of you, how many of us can honestly say this morning, we have answered the call to discipleship, to follow Jesus? Now, at this point here, you might be hoping that I'm going to give some uh, explanation on the culture. I'm going to say, hey, no, no, this is just uh, Jewish or Middle Eastern hyperbole. What Jesus actually meant was this. But as we look down at 2,000 years of, of history of the church, we see that this is a call that has been taken seriously by many believers. In fact, just last week, we received this message on our WhatsApp group with other partner churches, high elders across Africa. I want to urge you to join with our churches in the north of India and in Nepal, as there's been an outbreak of violence against churches and Christians, including some loss of life in the last 24 hours. This is what's happening in real time. This is what it means to follow Jesus in their context. But we, we, we don't really need to go far to the, to the far east to apply that, this is happening right here to believers in Kenya, in certain communities where, where following Jesus costs you your family, might cost you your life, in fact, costs you everything that belongs to you. I attended a conference uh, just a few months ago, and we had a photo taken. And uh, you see on the picture, there's some blurred faces. That's not because the guys were not photogenic and we thought, hey, let's just rub them out of our nice picture. That's because these guys are in underground churches. They can't afford to have their picture on social media attending a Christian event. Following Jesus has cost them everything. One of the guys I know has got a price on his life. This is what it means to follow Jesus in our times. And you can imagine that these guys are not debating the finer points of is tithe before tax or after tax. They're not sitting down to discuss the finer points of is it Old Testament, is it New Testament. These guys say, no, no, we've given everything to follow Jesus. And how about you? Where are you at this morning? Are you all in or are you hedging your bets? So when Jesus says disciples, I want you to think of guys who've left everything to follow him. And this is what he says to them. There was a rich man who had a manager and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give, give an accounting of your management for you can no longer be my manager. In the words of the apprentice, the rich man is essentially saying, you're fired. You have a few hours to hand in the accounts and leave. And this leaves the manager in a dilemma. And so he says to, to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. And then this is kind of the climax when he comes up with a plan. I know what I shall do. So that when I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. 
And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. And uh, what you need to understand about what's happening here is that this is a very cunning plan. So these, uh, the, the rich man is likely to be a wealthy landowner who subleases, so he's got tenants, and these tenants are also um, well, likely to be wealthy, and so they can afford to be able uh, to employ the manager. And uh, so when he calls them in, he, he gives them substantial discounts, uh, something like a year and a half worth of wages for a daily laborer. And now what happens to the rich man is that he then gains a reputation in the community for being generous because as soon as these guys leave this meeting, they are talking about it in the village. Wow, look at what the rich man has done. And so the rich man is left in a dilemma. Does he come back and say, no, no, that was the manager and then now he's got the whole village up in arms against him and berating him for being stingy? And let's see what the master does. It says, and his master praised the unrighteous manager. So he, he's kind of like, okay, I see, I get what you've done, but hats off. This, this was a cunning plan. Because he had acted shrewdly. That is, he's, he's acted, this word shrewd in the Greek translation of the Old Testament is, is how it's described of the serpent, when he said the serpent was the most subtle, the most shrewd of animals. So this guy has acted in a cunning way, in a, but it's prudent. It's, it's kind of wise in that he's got foresight. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Now, I know this is Kenya and some might be thinking, hey, this is the scripture I needed to validate corruption Right? I've, this, this, uh, this, where's this scripture been all my life? But the, this scripture is not there to, to validate corruption in, in politics or to, to teach you about how to run the accounts if you're an accountant in a business. You see, the manager is not praised for his dishonesty. There's a world of difference between he praised the shrewd manager for his dishonesty. And he praised the dishonest or the unrighteous, the evil, the wicked manager for his shrewdness. What is being praised here is the ability of the manager to use his position, to, to use the relationship, to, to use the resources that are at his disposal in a very time-limited way to be able to plan his future ahead through relationships. And so let's hear how Jesus wants us to apply the lessons from the story. Let's read verse 9. It says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. Which brings me to the first exhortation that I, I want to make to us as a church, that I, I want to make to you as an individual, use wealth to love people. In this verse, Jesus is, is teaching us to, to use wealth, but not to bank on it. Pun intended. He's saying, use wealth to bless people. 
what he calls making friends for yourselves. Just like what the dishonest manager did, but with completely opposite motivations. You see, the, the dishonest manager has foresight for this life. Corruption and greed might help you store up a kitty for this life. But true wisdom looks to eternity. J.C. Ryle, uh, a 19th century bishop, commenting on this verse says, the diligence of worldly men about things of time should put to shame the coldness of professing Christians about the things of eternity. Ouch. That's what you call a rebuke. But he offers a more positive encouragement when he says, if a wicked man can do this for an earthly home and in a wicked way, how much more ought a righteous man to provide for himself a heavenly home in a lawful way? And so what, what Jesus is saying in this verse is that, hey, it's, it's okay to have wealth, but be careful for you can't entrust your life to it. Instead, use wealth. Don't try to store it up as a security for your future because there's coming a day when your wealth cannot save you. In effect, it will fail you. Listen, many details of your life, many details of tomorrow are uncertain. But two things are certain, death and death, eternity, and the judgment to come. And we spend our time, our lives, trying to gain certainty in this which is uncertain while neglecting that which is certain. Friends, there's coming a day when the Kenyan shilling, one Kenyan shilling will be equal to one US dollar, which will be equal to one Zimbabwean dollar. Hallelujah. And they'll be all equal to nothing. You see, when, when Jesus calls it unrighteous wealth, he, he's not saying that money is bad, but he's saying that money belongs to this age, this unrighteous age, this age which is uncertain, this age which is full of evil and wickedness. And so you, you handle it like you handle fire. You see, you don't just start fires. Fires are put in specific places for specific uses. Money is a good servant, but not a good master. And so there's, there's coming a day when everything that is of unrighteousness, God will put a line on it and say, thus far and no further. And your money will not make it across. And in that day, Scripture says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the things done in the body. We must give an account for what we have done with these resources. We must give an account for what we have done with our time. We must give an account for what we have done with our talents and our gifts. And Jesus is saying, hey, don't bank on the here now. Just, just don't have enough foresight to look ahead for your retirement. I want you to have more foresight. I want you to look into eternity. And clearly, the, the expectation that we get from these scriptures is that we'll use our wealth to bless others, to this making of friends who get us into eternal dwellings. 
Friends, it's okay to be passionate about the last pandas of China. It's okay to be passionate about the acacias of the savannas. But what God has priority for is the eternal destiny of people. And he's calling us as a church to say, whatever else priority, whatever else you might have in your life, I want you to put this number one priority to use all that you have that you might see others coming into these eternal dwellings and you would be received in them that you would rejoice together. When God said, go into all the world and make disciples of, of all nations. But friends, we're, we're not exempt from that commission. We're not exempt from that command. We, we, what we shouldn't have Catherine saying here that the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. We should have Catherine here saying, hey, hey, we've got enough laborers now at Huhuru. Because we've got a people who see the investment of eternity. And so, friends, we are called to a world where it says, love money and use people. And Jesus is saying, no, no, the kingdom is different. I want you to use money to love people. And at this stage, you might say, hey, I'm giving my 10% to the church. Glory to God. And I get to do what I want with the 90%. You know, the, the most faithful tithers we see in the Bible were the Pharisees. These guys would look at their spice garden and measure it out and say, how many plants do we have here? I've got a hundred, ten are going to the temple, hallelujah. These guys were, were famous for fasting. Did anyone fast this week? They fasted twice a week. Every week they were famous for their praying. They were famous for their knowledge of scripture. And yet their hearts were far from God because they were lovers of money. And friends, what we're talking about when we talk about generous is not just, hey, let's give to the church. That the mission of the church would go. But we're saying, how do your workers experience you with money? Like, I'm giving my 10%, but meanwhile... You're as, as tight-fisted as Scrooge. And Jesus is saying, no, I want you to love people and use wealth to love people. Let's read the next verses. It says, he who is faithful, now each time, you hear the word faithful, I'd like you to clap. Is that okay? All right. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who entrusts the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And you don't have to be a Bible scholar with full knowledge of first century Greek to see that Jesus is exhorting us to faithfulness. Thanks, Hannah. And this brings me to my second point, which is pursue true riches. And so what Jesus is saying in these verses is that actually what money and wealth do is that they test 
our character. It's, it's kind of like a test tube where you put one chemical and another and say, I want to know what's in this chemical. Money brings out what is in us. It's like Jesus is saying, no, no, okay, I've, I've heard that you prayed the prayer. I've, I've heard your statement of faith. I've seen the list. I've seen your creed. But when I give you money, that's when I'll really know what's in your heart. Imagine your family owned Carrefour, the, the retail chain store, not just in Kenya, but across wherever it is in the world. And then imagine they, they came to you and said, no, you know what, before you come into the family business, we, we're going to give you a duka in Kakamega that you're going to run. No offense if you're from Kakamega, I'm sure there are great dukas there. And and what they're saying is, we, we want to see how you, you will handle this village, this dukkha, this, this store, before we give you the reins and the keys to the global retail chain. And you see, this, this is exactly what God has said and done for us. He says we are co-heirs together with Christ, that everything belongs to Him, and through being his children in Christ, we get to inherit everything. But before that comes, before the inheritance comes, this stewardship and entrustment to see, will you be faithful? That boat has already sailed. Or will you be like Esau? who despised his birthright and traded it for a plate of lentil soup. And Jesus told the story of the rich fool earlier in the book of Luke, in, in Luke 12. And he was emphasizing this idea that not only is what you have not yours, even your very life is not yours. And so life doesn't consist in the abundance of things. And he, he kind of trashes the whether I can call it the American dream or whatever, get rich, retire at 40. Anyone else have that dream? Anyone else daydream of winning the lottery even when you haven't bought a ticket and you begin to imagine, what are you going to do? And you, you start imagining and then you're like, no, no, first I'm going to give 10% to the church. Okay, and then after that, my life is going to change. But Jesus is saying, those are not true riches. And the world has a whole machinery to try and convince you that this is where it's all at. YOLO, social media, you see people living it up. Hubby just bought me a, a Range Rover. We've, we've moved into our new house. We've remodeled our kitchen. Our kids are going to this and this school. We were at this and this place for a holiday. And you're like, man, those are true riches. That's what I want for my life. And Jesus is saying, no, that's, that's just a mirage. That's, that's not really where it's at. And so he's, he's exhorting us. He's exhorting you to pursue true riches. 
And you might be here and you're a student and, and you're thinking about, what am I going to study in college? And the way we did it when we were growing up is you look at whose life seems to be going well, right? I, I, I know an uncle who's a chemical engineer and look at his life, man. I want to be a chemical engineer. Your parents are like, no, no, you need to be a doctor. And I want to exhort you this morning. I want to exhort students to pursue true riches as you pursue your careers. Pursue that which will have an impact, not for your retirement, but for eternity. And parents, kids are like hypocrisy magnets. They, they see hypocrisy. They, they know it when, when truly your heart is set on material things. They see what you are stressing about. They see really where your life is at. And so I want to challenge you this morning to reflect on your culture in the home. It's one thing to, to say to your kids, hey, believe in Jesus, we're following Jesus. It's another thing to live your life following and pursuing money. And, and, and if you're single and looking forward to, to get married, I, I want you to exhort you this morning that you'll choose a spouse and a partner, somebody who, who shares this ideal that we're not going to pursue these temporary, these, these false riches. This is not what our life is going to be about. Because trust me, that will bring a lot of problems into your marriage. But you want a spouse who says to you, hey, if, if God is calling us here, this is where we're going to be. If God gives us these things, that's, that's fine. But if not, if, if his purpose is this, we will do it. And even young couples, now as you're planning your lives, as, as you're looking ahead five, ten years, I want you to pursue true riches. I remember when we left Zimbabwe, it was like I, I died inside. Not because I was leaving Zimbabwe, but because we had to sell everything. We, we sold everything at a discounted price. And then I couldn't even say we're selling everything to give to the poor. We were just selling everything because we had to leave. And I remember we used to have a four by four with seats that would warm up, with seats where you push a button and it moves forward. I don't know how many degrees you could change. You could push another button and it inclines. You push a button and it lifts just the backside. And then we had to sell it. Then I came to Kenya and I bought a parcel. And, you know, where we came from, there was no traffic. When you're driving, you stop at the traffic light. And when you're driving the 4x4, four four, you look down at the guy beside you. And then now at the pestle, I'm looking up and then I, I just quickly bounce and I'm like, hey, I'm focused on the road. And it taught me this reality that you can't take it with you. Not when you're leaving country and not when you're leaving this life. And so you need to pursue true riches. If you want to buy me a 4x4, four four, that's fine. 
And the final exhortation. So we've heard that we're to use wealth to love people and we're to pursue true riches. This is the way of disciples. Finally, Jesus challenges them. And this morning, I want us to come face to face with this challenge from Jesus. And this is what he says. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. You see, there's this idea that has crept into the church that you can serve both God and money. Right? You have the best of both worlds. Jesus said, no. I was going to do a split for you. Have, be on a chair, have one person pulling across and have the other and say, but I was afraid I wouldn't be able to finish the sermon. He says, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now the Pharisees, Remember the Pharisees who are tithing? The Pharisees who are known for their praying, their Bible reading? These guys were lovers of money. You'd think the skeptical people, the cynical people would be somewhere out there on Twitter or the atheist society of Kenya. But Jesus is saying, no, no, they're in the church. Because they love money. They were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And friends, this is where we'll end our series. Face to face with Jesus. Face to face with Jesus reminding us that you cannot serve both God and money. This morning we were declaring that we will worship God and there's nothing more important than what and who we worship. When God took the Israelites out of Egypt, he he said to them, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and you shall have no other gods before me. Friends, as we're talking about generosity and ending this series, we end confronted by our idolatry. And the Bible says that God is a jealous God. He says, I, I, I will have no rivals. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve and pursue the kingdom of God. And the, and the kingdom of building your wealth and your empire. He says you, you can do it with lip service, but actually, I see the heart. You can do it and, and give 10% and be religious, but actually, I see the heart. But at heart, you're a lover of money. But friends, what we've seen this morning is that actually that's not true riches. It will fail you. And so God is not wanting to take away one thing and leave you empty. He's wanting to take away what's fake 
what's temporary and give you what's real, what's eternal, true riches. But it's saying, hey, would you have faith? Because when you look at it at the surface, it looks like you're losing out. Hey, I'm Pajero Apostle, I'm, I'm losing out. But the eyes of faith see beyond the grave. The eyes of faith see the city whose builder and whose architect is God. The eyes of faith see the new heavens and the new earth. The eyes of faith see that day when we meet with Christ and we'll say, I wish I could have given more. But will you turn away from trying to have the the best of both worlds? Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. Friends, this this call is still upon us this morning. And I don't want you to leave without answering that, without determining in your heart, without asking God for his grace. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, we thank you for what you have done for us. But we realize the the calling is (laughs) all-encompassing. You will not share our devotion with any other. You will not share our love. You will not share our service. Lord, we, we realize that the world promises us much It says, hey, this is what's true. This is what will make you happy. This is what will really satisfy you. But all of that is just a mirage. And Lord, we we wanna turn our backs on it. But we are weak in and of ourselves. (laughs) God, we we confess that we, we can't do it again and again. We see the children of Israel caught up in idolatry. And Lord, you said you would make a new covenant. You would give them new hearts. You would put your spirit inside of them. And Lord, this is what we are longing for. The power of this new heart, the power of a new life, the power of your spirit. And Lord, would you set us free where we've brought ourselves into into bondage and the deception of the enemy by pursuing that which is false. This morning, would you deliver us and would you set us free? And Lord, would you empower us to truly give ourselves to to that which is really of worth, that which is really eternal. And Lord God, I I pray for our students, our, our young people, that right now, in Jesus' name, you would put a courage in them to be able to go against the current, to be able to go against the world, to be able to go against the power of social media and what they see. Lord, would you open their eyes to see the realities of what is true and what is everlasting. Even right now, Lord God, I pray that you would begin to deposit sense of purpose, a sense of calling, a sense of uh, being of of a different spirit. 
And Lord God, I, I pray right now for, for relationships and marriages that have been wrecked by this area of finances, Lord, because of pursuit of lesser things, because of pursuit of the temporary. And I pray for your grace to come into those relationships and that there will be an awakening to that which is real and that which is eternal. Let it be something that binds and strengthens marriages and not divides them. And Father, I pray for your grace upon parents to be able to, to live out this great calling of living, being living testaments of the gospel and what it means to pursue eternal things. Lord, where there's been stress about finances, would there be a peace right now that you will provide? Where there's been stress about school fees, college fees, and this and the other, Lord God, I pray right now for a peace that comes from you, that passes understanding that you are the God who provides. And Lord, I pray for us as a church that we'll be a people who truly serve you and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen.